The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Welcome along, it's July 29th, uh, 2022, and we now augment the recitation of the time zones with the date. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's, what's going on here? Uh, I don't know. Uh, we're doing one of our side of the road things, so who knows how's it, how it's going to go, uh, but that's uh, just the way it is. Uh, welcome along, uh, and as I said, we now augment the recitation of the time zones with the date by request of one of our Dublin listeners, Tony Allwright. I'm not sure if any non-Irish listeners care for it, not sure indeed if any non-Dublin listeners care for it. I was in Navan, uh, which is uh, north of Dublin. Uh, I was in Navan the other day, and while perambulating the streets... I was pestered by not a soul anxious to tell me how much they love our new feature of announcing the date as well as reciting the time zones. Nevertheless, just for Tony, <laughs> there may be someone else out there, uh, July to maybe in uh, uh, Kiribati, but uh, in that case, the date will be wrong. Uh, nevertheless, it's July 29th, 2022, uh, 4 p.m., North American Eastern Time, that's 5 p.m. in the Canadian Maritimes, half past five in Newfoundland and beyond the Americas, 9 p.m. in London, 10 p.m. in Paris, 11 p.m. in Kiev, where Zelensky is stomping around the presidential palace, still raging at Piers Morgan for giving him the worst ratings of his wartime 2022 celebrity and uh, and uh, the president is demanding to know why his lousy agent didn't book him on that niche Canadian show instead of Piers Morgan's massive ratings hole. It's half past midnight in Tehran for all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone. 1.45 a.m. in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone. 4 a.m. in Singapore, Honkers and Perth. I'm always very sorry about that. Six 6am in Melbourne and Sydney, and a comparatively civilised hour uh, for the Kippers and Kedgeri uh, for our listeners across the Pacific. You know how this works. Uh, anybody is free to listen to the show, the nearly 8 billion people on this planet. Uh, but to ask a question, you do have to be a Mark Stein Club member. You might have no desire to ask a question, so it's not going to bother you. But uh, if it does, you're welcome to join, and we'll try and hustle you to the front of the queue. Let us see what we got here. As I said, it's all a bit uh, on the along the side of the road here. But um, uh, Saber Mike Carroll. Um, says, Mark, I saw that Chicom State Media threatened to shoot down 
Nancy Pelosi's plane if she decides to visit Taiwan. Uh, Probably the usual bluster, but here's a sobering thought. What if that actually happened? Clearly it would be an act of war, but how would America go about waging war? Bombing China would be the same as bombing our own industrial plants as they were all outsourced to them years ago. Waging a successful war would be impossible. Do the ridiculous people in charge understand that fact and recognize the need to decouple from the Chicoms. I know. Rhetorical question. Yeah, it is. There's nothing really like this, because you think about it. The the official... You wouldn't let your enemy make everything in your house, would you? Well, I mean, I say that, but that's basically what's happened. You, You go into the average American home, you go into all the big American retailers. You go into Walmart. Everything, you know, the, one of the stupidest stories National Review ever did in my time with them. Because I hate, I, I think I mentioned this before, that um, when I bought my pad in New Hampshire, which is a long, long time ago now, and uh, I loved all the small town northern New England thing. That's, you know, that's why I bought the place. And then I happened to go to a farm stand in Vermont, um, just across the river, one of the border towns. And uh, the farm stand had a Christmas shop, and that was a big deal for the farm. And I went into the Christmas shop because I thought, well, oh, this is my first Christmas in New Hampshire. Oh, I just love small town, northern New England. Uh, so I'm going to get a Christmas tree from uh, my, one of my neighbors for five bucks. And I'm going to put the Christmas tree up in my living room. And I'm going to put all these nice small town, northern New England knickknacks in there. And uh, I looked at all the northern New England knickknacks and they were all made in China. And what was so weird to me was that they were actually some of them were made by incompetence in China because they you had weird things where they hadn't done Santa and things quite right. And um, uh, and and that was the first time, I think, that I really thought of I, I didn't like Walmart because I don't like buying I don't like having stuff from China in my home, because this was just a year or two after Chananman Square, you know, so I don't like having people who kill people make all my stuff. I'm just not comfortable about it. It's a, it's That's beyond price, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I'm a little old-fashioned in that, oh, and, and these days, of course, you don't, ha- there isn't actually much, it's very difficult to find anything that's made in, in America. So the Chinese crap is all there is. And we were told, well, they're just making the crap because no one in America wants to make crap. These are the jobs Americans won't do, you know, that kind of argument. And, of course, they start by making the crap, and now they're making everything. Everything. And there, there is no way a nation can go to war against a power such as... You, you imagine... If in uh, Britain in 1939, everything in an Englishman, a Scotsman, an Irishman, a Welshman's home was made by the Third Reich. 
you know, oh yeah, uh, we're going to go to war with Germany. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Germany make everything you're wearing. They make everything in your living room. They make everything in your kitchen. They 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 make uh, your uh, most sophisticated technology. And so you're going to go to war with them. And as we pointed out during the early days of the COVID, they make all your pills. So, uh, so the first thing that's going to happen is uh, 10 days into the war, everyone's going to have a splitting headache and there'll be no aspirin. I mean, this is, in, this is why the, just about the only interest, I'm, as you know, I get bored with politics and bored with politicians. Not because politics is inherently boring, but because politicians are, because they never talk about anything that matters. You know, either they're, uh, either they're the right-on kind who are just going on about their pronouns and transgender bathrooms all the time, or they're the so-called right uh, who are just uh, completely evasive on this. And as you know, on the question of China, uh, bear as much of the blame as the left do, the Chamber of Commerce right. Now, again, let's just go back to what Sabre Mike's asking, where, where we've subcontracted to a foreign nation all our manufacturing, from, from cheap T-shirts cheap Christmas knickknacks uh, to the most sophisticated technology. And that foreign nation, now we haven't, it, it would be not necessarily a good idea if we'd subcontracted it to India or to Slovenia or to Denmark, but we've actually uh, outsourced it all to a country that explicitly threatens uh, named individuals of our society. So they've now, I, I hold no brief for Nancy Pelosi, but I don't think she deserves to get shot out of the sky by the Chicoms. Uh, and they're, they're explicit about this stuff. So my third right comparison isn't idiotic. I mean, as I said, the Slovenes and the Danes and the Indians don't threaten to shoot prominent people in American political leadership out of the sky. Obviously, we're not going to go to war. It would be a bad thing if the Chicoms shoot Nancy Pelosi out of the sky. Um, but if it happened, uh, they would devise structures by which the question of going to war with China could be evaded. You know, uh, we, oh, we, we, uh, we object in the strongest possible terms uh, to Chairman Xi shooting my good friend Nancy out of the sky. But in the interests of the broader question of world peace, we've agreed to have a subcommittee at the United Nations uh, look into what we can do to prevent this happening in the future. That's all it's going to be. Because America's already bloody lost. And as I said, that what happened for a brief moment in the spring of 2020 when People who were in power, at that nominally in power, because as we learn, 
on most of the things that matter, uh, the Trump administration was actually not in power. It didn't have control of the executive branch at all. The head of the executive branch was mostly ignored by the executive branch. And uh, we were, but we were at least talking publicly about decoupling from China. Then, of course, what happened was uh, Black Lives Matter came along and boring, 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 boring crap. Uh, and next thing you know, Joe Biden is sitting in the uh, Oval Office and squinting into a prompter he can barely read. And he, he's on the take from China. His brother's on the take from China. His son's on the take from China. They're a wholly owned subsidiary of China. They're like that little Christmas shop. They may, you know, Biden may seem folksy and American and lunch lunch bucket Joe from Scranton, uh, but in fact, he's entirely made in China, uh, which has made him, made him very rich. And, uh, and, and so... There's not going to be a war with China. There isn't going to be a war. And the Chinese, in fact, are simply reflecting the power reality. What are you going to do for Taiwan when, uh, when China wants to annex it and China makes everything in your home? I made this point before, but it's worth it's worth you know you know the the Europeans when America became the mass uh, manufacturer of stuff, uh, the Europeans at least were able to carve out the top of, top of the line market. So you know your German cars, your uh, Italian shoes, uh, your French wines, and all the rest of it. America is nothing like that. America is mass or bust. Uh, and in fact, all the st- and all the stuff that people think of as American now is made in China. This is the single be- most. In- no country has killed itself in this in this way, and we don't even talk about it. When do you actually ever hear? One of the things I liked about Trump, 2015 Trump, 2016 Trump, he talked about China because he got it. Because he happened to be in one of the few industries. You can't make a skyscraper in China. Not yet. Not yet. They'll figure it out. They'll have the skyscraper made uh, around the back of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, like everything else. And then it'll be put on a container and shipped across the world and put up in Cleveland or wherever. They'll figure that out eventually. But right, but in Trump's era, in Trump's day, it was the one thing you couldn't outsource to China. And so he, uh, and so he grasped this issue uh, very clearly. And I'm just, I'm just disgusted at, because I can't, I can't. They, they, then they make a fuss, you know, about oh well, some Chinaman has uh, bought up uh, two hundred acres next to uh, you know Fort whatever, a big American military base, and there could be national security implications. You stupid bloody idiots! It's too bloody late for that. You've screwed the whole bloody place, because the national security issue is when all the most basic... How do you think the American people, who aren't great enthusiasts for war at the best of times, are going to feel about a war in which uh, they, they can't buy a new pair of underpants at Walmart because all the boxes and briefs are made in China? 
so they're in tatty underwear. Uh, they got no aspirin, so they got a splitting headache. They got no cars because the bat, the chips for the cars. You know, you know, China doesn't have to fire a shot because the Chamber of Commerce right surrendered. And I don't get a lot of things, but right. But my instinct on this Chinese thing, not wanting to have Christmas decorations made by the butchers of Chananmen, uh, was was completely right. And I, uh, you know, I wrote, I, I used expressions almost twenty years ago now, in America alone, sixteen years ago, when I said uh, China will get old before it gets rich and everything. And uh, Henry Kissinger started using my lie. I don't mind that. It sounds much better coming out of Henry's uh, magnificent voice. But, uh, but all the people who matter, there were some people who genuinely thought, who, who was the stupid people, the stupid people genuinely thought that, oh, if we give China the global economy, then they'll democratize. Whereas, as we've learned since COVID, no, instead, uh, if you give China the global economy, you start getting more Chinese with respect to freedom of speech and freedom of movement and all the rest of it. Those were the stupid people. Then we have the smart people the people who, like Joe Biden, Joe Biden was nobody's idea of a great thinker, but he likes getting the dough. He likes the 10% for the big guy. And there were enough of those people uh, all over the Western world, including the Trudeau family in Canada and the Johnson family in the United Kingdom uh, and uh, and the Sunak family, if Rishi Sunak becomes prime minister over there, who all like getting the big Chinese dough, because that's where the big money is. You know, if you're in America, if you're in Canada, if you're in the UK, if you're in Europe, it's okay for making the small money, but for the real big bucks, you need a piece of the Chinese action. And the Chinese understand that. Uh, and they're very and they're very clear about it. Uh, it. It's a terrible situation, you know. It really is a terrible situation. Saber Mike, I thank you for that question. Kate Smythe, the doyen of Stein Clubbers down under. Uh, we uh, we could probably use a few more uh, doyens there just to make it a bit more of a competitive race. Would be doyens. Do let us know. Kate Smythe says, Mark, your old line, you don't need a presidency for life if you've got a bureaucracy for life, has been all but confirmed by Dr. Deborah Burks of Trump's task force, the famous scarf lady during those uh, two-hour COVID press conferences Trump uh, was doing uh, in the spring of 2020, uh, has been all but confirmed by Dr. Deborah Burks, who openly admitted in her book to an organized sabotage by federal medical agencies intent on prolonging nationwide lockdowns indefinitely. The same experts deliberately misled citizens about COVID vaccines and the basis for mandating these drugs. Many who complied under duress were physically harmed, and those who refused 
refused lost livelihoods. Dissenting doctors were censored on social media and intimidated by licensing bodies. The threat of the administrative state to democracy and freedom, highlighted by the COVID coup and seen with the permanent climate crisis, is a consistent theme across Anglosphere countries. Further centralization of unaccountable power at the international level compounds the problem. How can this be addressed? Notwithstanding the corporatist conflicts of interest of so many unelected office holders, how can they be held responsible for their gross misconduct, which materially affects the lives of millions of people? P.S. Recent interviews with writer Jeffrey Tucker reveal the extent of what could only be described as a coordinated conspiracy. Yeah, Again, it's like the uh, crappy American election where they could barely wait 20 minutes after Joe Biden, uh, after January 6th. Oh, the insurrection, the insurrection, the insurrection. And then there's a big Time magazine story about how they fortified the election, so-called, quote, fortified. Well, now uh, all the COVID people are uh, talking about how they, quote, fortified uh, as it were, the lockdown. And uh, Dr. Burke saying, oh, I never thought these vaccines would prevent infection. Uh, well, for one thing, in that case, they're not vaccines, are they? Uh, so it would have been helpful if you'd said that at the time. But that's how I hear it. That's how Kate hears it. And that's how a lot of you hear it. But if you watch uh, Dr. Burke's being interviewed, she comes across very well. She comes across as a normal person, you know, and that in that in that sense, uh, she's the kind of she's the kind of person who you would want on your side because everyone thinks that she, oh yes, look at her and there she's got her nice scarf on and she's talking so moderately and sensibly and there's uh, and there's Trump next to her and he says kind of wild and unpredictable things and he does these mean. I'd much rather be on the side of Deborah Burks and uh, what. Uh, so she's a, the kind of person you would want on your side. And so half the people who this is, if you want to change this, Kate, ultimately it has to be done here. Uh, uh, we're moving towards a post-democratic era, which ought to be a bad thing. And it's why, again, I don't get into these sort of, you know, people, people criticize Tucker because he hasn't got the Mark Levin view of the American political arrangements. He keeps talking about democracy and, well, we're not a democracy, we're a, re a republic. And they want to have that argument. That argument would be fine if everything wasn't crap. And one of the reasons it's crap is because we've somehow accepted the idea and uh, that the, the people's wishes count for naught. Uh, and so arguing about the merits of a republic, uh, you know, there's very little direct democracy anywhere outside of, you know, Swiss referenda and a few other things. Um, you know, uh, Canada is a constitutional monarchy. It's not a direct democracy. These are stupid arguments to have when you're going off the bloody cliff. Uh, they're complete waste of time arguments. And uh, the, the, the point here is, when I use the words post-democratic here, oh, we're not a democracy, we're a republic. No, that's not what I mean. I'm using the term 
in the most basic sense that government uh, by the people, uh, of the people, and for the people is none of the clever people are into that anymore. So when people listen to Deborah Burks. Uh, talking about how oh yes I I knew that uh, w- the important thing was to was to pull the wool over Trump's eyes so he'd sign on to a two week lockdown because I knew once we got the two week lockdown that that would buy me enough time to find some other pretexts for making it lockdown without end which is what has basically happened around the Western world they're not really out of lockdown in very critical ways. Uh, and 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 the thing is that half the country listens to that and thinks, oh, it's great! I just love I just love rule by experts, and I love hearing about how Fauci and Burks managed to buffalo Trump uh, and subvert the will of the people. Because I'm, you know, the will of the people. Yeah, okay. I was never really into absolute monarchy. Uh, and the will of the people seems like a nice alternative to that, but frankly, a lot of the people are morons, they're de classe, uh, they're into barbecue and country music and all kinds of stuff, and I think it would be much better if we had not an absolute monarch, but, but just an elite class that knew what was best for us. And half the country is on board with that. And that is also true in most other parts of the Western world. And that has to change. And one of the reasons that this thing with, oh, are you, uh, I mean, these, these are really the most, it's really the, the most basic status things. Um, if you ask people, uh, are you part of the elite or are you part of the snarling, grunting masses? Most people like to think they're part of the uh, elite uh, and in fact they so they assume when you have ruled by experts that it's ruled by people like you uh, because they think well look if I was having a dinner party I'd much rather be sitting across the table from Deborah Burks than from Donald Trump I mean this is this is it, it's as basic as that so they think that if you've got ruled by experts ruled by elites that basically they're in that group and they're not. And most of them are going to wind up as crapped out as all the people they condescend to and whom they despise. So the most important thing uh, is going to have to be, and, and, you know, accepting civil war and what have you, but the most important thing is going to have to be changing all those now can they push it too far yes they can there's a lot of a lot of the people you know who are uh on on my show uh in in the UK are people are not people who are conventionally right wing most of the victims of the vaccine are not uh, of a politically conservative disposition uh, Julian Assange's brother is a uh, is essentially a lefty he comes on my show because it's only a principled right-wing nut who doesn't think the united states should have the right 
to to uh, drag people from the other side of the planet into their stinking awful prison system. But most of the left-wing media in America aren't there for Julian Assange. So sometimes people get moved into, you know, if their life gets sufficiently crap, uh, they get moved into your category, faute de mieux, uh, because, you know, Everything is just so bloody awful. What are you going to do? You're going to stick with the people who, who just keep making it awful? Now, we're about to have a test of that in November in the United States. Uh, so we're going to see, you know, we're going to say, oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I, I do honestly, if, if, if it comes down to it, I would rather that gas was back to the price it was in January 2021. Uh, but, uh, but you know, Trump did all those awful, ghastly, vulgar tweets, and so I'd still rather stick with the Democrats. We'll be interested to see how many inroads are made on that. But the actual administrative state will always trend left, simply because we're not talking about the size. And again, this is why I'm not into this constitutional stuff because basically the the american constitution has been successfully subverted for a century now uh, the federal government does all kinds of things that it shouldn't be doing and everyone has accepted it for a century and it would be lovely to be living in jacksonian america 200 years ago uh, but uh, for a century, the people have accepted all the crap that Washington does. And once uh, you, you began with all those alphabet soup agencies in Washington, once government swells to a certain size, the people who fill the government will be of a leftish disposition. And it doesn't really make much, uh, as uh, a, a Canadian cabinet minister said to me after Stephen Harper's election, uh, we don't know enough conservatives to fill all these government jobs. And we saw that again with, with Trump. Uh, so that most of the people working for Trump are, are in fact like Deborah Burks. They're basically boasting about what a crackerjack job they did subverting Trump and subverting the will of the people. So the question then becomes... Um, can enough of those people, enough of the people who think that's all clever, as I said, that is the weak spot, that half the, half the country still loves lockdown. Half the country would like to be locked down some more. Uh, half, half the, I'm, I'm actually, amazed, I've been traveling, I used to travel a lot, and since the COVID, it's become more difficult, and as a was saying uh, someone the other day, you know, you got to have six, seven, eight, nine, twelve different passports to be able to move around and dodge the various strictures on getting in and out of places. It's become, uh, that's the way it is. But what often strikes me is now that the mask mandates have been lifted, how many people are still wearing masks? These useless masks, these tatty, stupid masks hanging off the end of their noses. A lot of these people enjoyed the COVID regime. And so I don't think, I don't think, uh, you know, the permanent emergency is going to be, is going to be difficult to reduce the size of government during. The only thing in the end is, is uh, is going to, is the way they're accelerating this. They're making everything so crap. You know, we're now they're now actually killing us. Uh, 
uh, telling people to take these, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh boosters that don't do anything for them, but have, you know, incredibly high rates of adverse events. In uh, at the Queen Elizabeth Medical Centre in Perth, there's a waiting list to get into the morgue. I mean, weird, weird stuff is going on. So you can't even. That's kind of as basic as it. We've got excess mortality, as, as I keep saying on the show. That's as basic. Oh well, I like the big government. I like the lockdowns. I like the masks. I like the social distancing. I like the way they won't let me go and open my hairdressing salon because uh, they're keeping me safe. Well, they're not actually keeping you safe. There's more people dying from more stuff everywhere you look. So uh, so that's the whole rationale of that. People have got to change. We'll come back to this in a minute because uh, there's an aspect to this I, I want to talk about uh, a little a little bit further. I know I've gone uh, I know I've gone uh, on about it, um, but I would like to uh, talk about it. Uh, just uh, a, a little more because it is quite a uh, it's it, it's actually the problem here we're not just up against elites we're not just up against bond villains like Klaus Schwab we're not just up against the Chinese Politburo we are up against uh, one in every two just to be very rough about it but one in every two of our neighbors so that is a big problem um, but uh, before we get too down on all that, uh, let's go to our musical interlude. The, the Wombles crop up here from time to time. Uh, and that's not just because... What's his name? Oh, yes. CRTV's billionaire sugar daddy, Carrie Katz, sued me for calling him a cockwomble. He lost, of course, and the judge, in effect, ruled that uh, those CR. TV guys are, in fact, cockwombles. One of my favourite judicial rulings. I read it for pleasure. Um, is CRTV still a thing? You never hear about them. Are they still going? Anyway, cockwomble is a British vernacular expression deriving from the hit TV series The Wombles. And Mike Batt, who did the songs from The Wombles, comes on the uh, Mark Stein show fairly regularly. And our various uh, Commonwealth correspondents, uh, Laura Rosen-Cohen uh, in the Senior Dominion, who does our Laura's Links every Thursday at Stein Online, and uh, the aforementioned Kate Smythe from Down Under. Uh, they've... Um, they both expressed various preferences for uh, the best Wombles song. The narrator of the Wombles was a great actor, Bernard Cribbins. And Bernard died on Wednesday at the age of 93. He did Doctor Who, uh, and he was terrific in the film of the Railway Children, which is such a lovely picture. But as I said to Polly Middlehurst on telly last night, I loved him for his brief career as a top 10 pop star. In 1962, he made two terrific records, both produced by George Martin. This is pre-Beatles George Martin, um, but he was already a big guy at uh, Parlophone Records. And after seeing Bernard on stage in the West End in some show or other, he signed him to a recording contract at Parlophone. And this was his first hit. And it's really a meditation on class and actually not unrelated to what we've been talking about. Uh, Bernard is the cloth-capped working man and he's being told he's doing it all wrong by some snooty bloke in a bowler hat, uh, like a 
council bureaucrat or some such. I love this song, and I assume this England was eternal, but as I know from recent weeks padding about St. James's, there are no men in bowlers in today's England, and the blokes digging the holes in the ground are everything but English. So time has made this song a kind of elegy uh, for a lost England. Um, uh, Noel Coward... Uh, Noel Coward loved this record uh, and he played it over and over and picked it as his ultimate desert island disc the only one he'd never got he'd never this was was the only record he said he'd never get sick of Bernard Cribbett there I was a digging his hole all in the ground so big and sort of round it was and there was I digging it deep it was flat at the bottom and the sides were steep went along comes this bloke in a bowler which he lifted and scratched his head whoa he looked down the old poor demented soul and he said do you mind if i make a suggestion don't dig it there dig it elsewhere you're digging it round and it ought to be square the shape of it's wrong it's much too long and you can't put a hole where a hole don't belong i ask what a liberty eh? nearly bashed him right in the bowler well, there was I, stood in me old shovel in earth For all that I was worth I was, and there was him Standing up there so grand and official with his nose in the air So I gave him a look sort of sideways and I leaned on me shovel and sighed Whoa, I lit me a fag and having too good drag I replied I just couldn't bear to dig it elsewhere I'm digging it round cause I don't want it square And if you disagree it doesn't bother me That's the place where the O's gonna be Well there we were discussing this hole Hole in the ground so big and sort of round it was It's not there now The ground's all flat and beneath it is the blow in the bowler and that's that. <laughs> and that's that. Uh, a hole in the ground filled by a bloke in a bowler hat. Traditional English class resentments from the day before yesterday. Bernard Cribbins, produced by George Martin. Music by Ted Dix. Words by Miles Rudge. Uh, two talented fellows who followed up that top ten hit with another top 10 hit for Bernard Cribbins and uh, we're going to hear that a uh, a little bit later. This is Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A live around the planet. We're taking your questions if you're a Mark Stein club member. If you're not a Mark Stein club member, you're free to listen and I hope you do enjoy uh listening and what you uh and what you hear. And uh just a, just as a quick um <clears throat> follow up. Um the, uh, the, 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 the question of change, Naomi Wolf, who's been on the Mark Stein show, Naomi's a lefty, uh, but she didn't like the COVID thing. And, and so she's ob objected to that. And she thinks it's actually one of the greatest crimes of all time. Uh, that uh, these, when you look at, the, when you add up the stillbirths, when you add up all the other, I mean, this is basically, a ruling class going to warn its people. That's how Naomi sees it. And she did a thing the other day 
where she was just saying she's she's got sick of people congratulating her on her courage, her friends, and saying, oh, uh, yeah, you're so brave. You're so brave. Uh, I'm so proud of what you're doing. Please don't mention my name. And and I've had this at various times. I had it after I published America Alone. I was astonished to get um, emails from certain big movie stars. Uh, not, you know, not the absolute biggest, Tom Cruise, not the A++++, but still A-list movie stars uh, who agreed with everything I said in the book. But, 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 but don't mention... Don't mention my name. And Naomi Wolf has written a piece saying, basically, people need to actually, you, you have to share the risk. It would make an enormous difference. You know, I'm basically one crappy show on British television. And we managed to get the government of the United Kingdom, which whatever you think about it, is a, one of the permanent five on the Security Council. It's a G7 member, blah, blah, blah to basically admit that these viruses kill people and that they have to compensate people who have been injured or damaged by them. That's one crappy show. Imagine what we could pull off if there were 50 crappy shows talking about this stuff. So in the, oh, I so admire your bravery, Naomi. Yeah, and she's like sick of this. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd rather you admired it less from afar and he actually came and stood next to me in public and joined the fight. Nobody would like... How would you like that on D-Day? Like the one guy... Oh, yeah, OK, I'm getting off the landing craft and I'm going uh, heading for the beach now. I've got my rifle and I'm in the sea and I'm taking German fire and I'm heading for the beach. And everyone else in the landing craft says, oh, we so admire your courage. No, 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 it's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. Uh, and it's pathetic. Uh, and it, it's truly pathetic. Um, and I'm, I'm, I just, at some point we, we have to have, uh, you know, we have to, we have to get beyond that. People have to stop saying that. And I can understand, you know, these are, and, th and this little group of Naomi Wolf's is actually quite important because these are her left-wing pals who are uncomfortable with the way things are going. But unlike, they don't want to end up uh, in the way that uh, Naomi is, where you're just being excoriated by all your previous pals. Uh, Frank Gallenstein writes, uh, or Gallenstein, uh, I don't want to get it wrong. And I hope one or other of those is correct. But Frank says, Hi, Mark. Here in the US, there's been an uptick in hepatitis among children. Many doctors believe it is due to the lockdowns that prevented children from getting exposed to common illnesses that would have otherwise provided antibodies that would have fought hepatitis. Just another argument against lockdowns. We covered this on the Mark Stein Show months ago, Frank. Months ago. But I think it's that media thing. You never want to be too right too early. Um, because it was the, I think it was the UK, or certainly England, that was the epicenter of, of this new outbreak of childhood hepatitis. Uh, the, I think they had the most on the planet, and then it started spreading uh, around to other places, and children died. Most important part of a, a child's health is those first few years 
when the little tyke is out in the world, he's at the nursery school, he's building up his immune system, he's getting exposed. You know what kids are like if you had a kid in whatever it is, nursery school, if he's, if he's just uh, has three or four friends around and one of them gets a cold, they all get the cold. And that's how you build up an immune system. If you're not exposed to anybody in your first two, three, four years of life, then you're like the boy in the bubble. You're basically a fragile, delicate flower uh, who in the critical years hasn't built up the immune system. thing about this is that people like Deborah Burks and that creep Fauci ought to know this. They ought to know this. So this whole idea, and again, it, what I've learned is actually what a, you know, oh, we care, yes. We're not like, the, it's the right that's heartless, but we on the left, we care about everybody. We care about humanity in general. We care about the planet. Well, there's a bunch of kids saying, oh, no, we don't care about them. We're, we're actually a totally heartless society. When I look at what we've done to these kids, when I look at the way these tweeters respond to these victims of the vaccine, these people, as I said, they're not political people. They're just people who, you know, believe the crap they were being told by all the experts and said, oh, yeah. I mean, it, it would never occur to you uh, to think that, uh, for example, they knew that some of this stuff wasn't very good, but they were going to stick it in you anyway. You know, oh, well, if they're saying that, you know, you you need to have these jabs in order to move around society and everything, well, they wouldn't be saying that, would they? Because these are the experts. Uh, and then they kill you. And uh, so suddenly you're a widow at 32. You've got young kids. You've lost the breadwinner in your family. And uh, it's not just that they're not there for you, but it's that everyone on Twitter hates you. That's what I find. You know, the crap, they don't even believe the crap. Bill Clinton, you know, when he decided to launch a war in Kosovo and he's announcing it and he plucks out some random kid in the crowd, some six-year-old girl who's just standing there with her mummy or whatever it was, and he says, we're, 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 we're waging this war in uh, over Kosovo in order that this little girl here is, can grow up in a world of peace. It's about the future of all our children. And they don't believe it. No, every, anybody who knows anything about kids would know that keeping them out of school for years, keeping them out of basic sporting activities like running, just running around, kicking a ball around, a ball around on a patch of grass with other kids, this is going to have terrible impacts on them. And that's before you get then to the specific medical problems like outbreaks of childhood hepatitis. Just, just, just terrible, cruel, stupid stuff we've uh, done to them. Uh, John Fatchy says, I've got a couple of pop culture questions. Um, I love your song of the week. In 2005, Martin Scorsese released a documentary on Bob Dylan called No Direction Home. In it, he juxtaposed Robert Zimmerman's coming of age as a 12-year-old in Minnesota 
with uh, How Much Is That Doggy in the Window becoming a number one hit in 1953. The obvious contrast in styles was being drawn. I love rock and roll. I'm a Bob Dylan fan. I write hard rock songs with screaming, distorted guitar leads. But when I watched this film in 2005, I immediately lamented the loss of the clean, refined mastery of yesteryear's popular music. Perhaps this was Scorsese's backhanded thesis, but there is no going home again to a better day in the popular music industry. I request a formal song of the week on that doggy in the window, but what can you share off the cuff where did dylan bring us to is the problem the piper or that rats or the rats that follow him i can't stomach the bug eating pedophiles of of the uh, the uh, wef let's talk about sanity um yeah uh bob merrill wrote how much is that doggy in the window and i don't think we devoted the whole song of the week column uh to that song but we did do a column on bob merrill and how much is the doggy in the window and she wears red feathers and a hooli hooli skirt and if i knew you were coming i'd have baked a cake and all the other monster hits he he was like the most successful songwriter of his day in the early 50s bob merrill he had sinatra I didn't want to do all that stuff, and that's that's uh, why uh, at Columbia they promoted Guy Mitchell, and uh, so they. Where will the baby's dimple be? That was another one of uh, uh, one of. He just had monster, monster hits, and eventually he decided it wasn't what he wanted to do. He was very good at it, Bob Merrill. He eventually decided it wasn't what he wanted to do, and he became a. Uh, went into the theatre and became a Broadway lyric writer. He wrote Funny Girl uh, with Julie Stein uh, and Barbara Streisand starred in it, of course, and he became a respected Broadway lyricist. But he was in that pop world where he was very, very good at writing How Much Is That Doggy in the Window and stuff like that. And that's always put, you know, put up as the reason you get rock and roll is because uh, these discriminating 12-year-olds like Bob Dylan are thinking, God, this is complete crap. And But, you know, the funny thing is Bob Dylan then got stuck doing stuff that he didn't want to do. He was a bit like Bob Merrill. They're more similar than you would think, John, because both of them are essentially lyric writers for whom tunes are barely functional except in the sense of showing off uh, the lyric and uh, Bob Dylan when he's not being Bob Dylan it was always very interesting to me he like Bob Dylan one of Bob Dylan's most favorite records is Frank Sinatra's recording of Ebb Tide by uh, Carl Sigmund, who wrote what I like to think of as my signature song, It's a Marshmallow World. And, uh, and, and, uh, and Bob Dylan listens to Sinatra singing Ebb Tide over and over and over and over. And as you know, he then made a Sinatra album, Shadows in the Night, one CD. And then he decided he was going to... He, he then made whatever it was, a 12-CD box set singing... Uh, almost all the songs Sinatra ever sang, not all of them, but he sang he sang hundreds of Sinatra songs now. Because in the end, uh, whatever you're doing, whether you're Bob Merrill or you're Bob Dylan, 
you get good at doing one kind of thing and all people want you to do is that one kind of thing and that's and that's the misery of it but i'm all all the time all the time i'm just amazed it's not true of everyone there are people who just don't care for what we think of as standard songs just don't like them there but but i'm always amazed uh, whenever, again, I'm going back to my pre-COVID life, but in the days when I'd find myself uh, sitting at dinner next to some hipster from the rock biz, and they all, they all, well, not all of them, that's not true, but an extraordinary number want to talk about going back to a world in which the song was the star the song could be sung by all kinds of people in different ways and they would like to 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 go back to that this this stuff matters you know we don't do uh you know politics politics is there to enable life and so if you're obsessed with politics there's nothing conservative about that you're a big government guy because all you're talking about is Oh, some guy who's a congressman and uh, uh, some fella who's a treasury secretary and some fella who has a political commentary show in which he talks about who's the treasury secretary. The point of politics is to enable life. I'm a conservative. I want politics to be 5%, small government and all that, and leaving 95% for life. And there's nothing conservative about having no interest in life because you're just obsessed with, oh, have you seen so-and-so's up two points in Iowa or whatever? And as we know, with the, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can elect Trump and then somebody like Deborah Burks, whom nobody has ever heard of, just comes wafting onto the scene and decides that we've uh, she's got to uh, force a lockdown so that will buy her time to subvert the people's representatives so piss off if you just want me to talk about polls and uh, what's looking good for november you know you have to change uh, you have to change the broader society in which we live uh, and conservatives don't uh, devote enough uh, time to doing that. And someone like Bob Dylan in that respect is, oh, the times they are are changing. Well, you know, when you look at all, if you, you look at his Christmas album, his Sinatra album, his Sinatra box set, Bob Dylan is telling you that there there's parts of the times that he wished hadn't changed. And that in itself is uh, very interesting uh dan says ofcom complaints yeah i'm being investigated by ofcom this goes back to the nami wolf thing by the way as i said just one crappy show uh but it's one crappy show where we talk about stuff that uh, you know the bbc and sky news and uh poor old piers morgan don't go near like victims of the vaccine and girls who've been gang raped by pakistani rape gangs and uh just one show. And so now we're awash in Ofcom complaints because they would, um, uh, you, you know, so they'll investigate me and at one point or other will decide that, uh, you know, uh, that's it. The show's off the air because that's how it is. 
Uh, and Dan says, uh, Ofcom complaints, does one get to face one's accusers or even rebut Anonymous 61? No, you don't get to know who your accusers are. You don't get to face... All people can just... People can just submit an Ofcom complaint and uh, and then it's up to Ofcom whether they decide to pursue it. And you never know who the guy is who's uh, decided to uh, complain about it. It's a complete racket. They shouldn't have these powers, but they do. They do. And again, it goes back to this business of how the assumptions of... Um, a century ago no longer apply people think people actually think that we should have regulated speech in which ex you know it's one thing to say oh we need experts to create vaccines it's quite another to say oh and we also need a whole bunch of other experts to regulate what you're allowed to say about the vaccine and in both of them, our society has degenerated. We've lost the habits of liberty. I said this, I think, in uh, After America. It might even have been America alone. But we've, in, in, across the Western world, we've lost the habits of liberty. If you look on Twitter... Uh, just tweets of ordinary people. Oh, uh, you know, the, the, the Lawrence Fox, the actor who's founded the Reclaim Party, someone, I think, retweeted something of his, and the police went round because uh, they got a complaint about somebody retweeting a Lawrence Fox tweet, and uh, they went round and arrested the guy. And what what's interesting is the number of, you know, so they're handcuffing a guy for retweeting something. Hampshire police, I believe it is. And the interesting thing is that if you look at the commentary, all people, oh, well, I don't know about that, that tweet. It's, uh, I thought that tweet was a bit homophobic or anti-Semitic or whatever it was. And so the assumption here is that if you don't like the tweet... And, and again, that, these are opinions, and opinions change. So one minute, you know, the tweet might be anti-Semitic, and the next minute it's Islamophobic, and one minute it's uh, homophobic, and then it's transfer. These And there's just fashions in opinion, which is why I'm like a principal guy. I, I just don't want the police handcuffing people who express an opinion. But there's very few people who actually think like that these days now. They're just... Um, increasingly, uh, they're just, um, you know, content, content uh, to, uh, as long as the police are handcuffing people whose tweets, for some reason, are not their kind of tweets, they're comfortable about that. So generally, so we're not, that. this is why elections don't work. Elections are supposed to take place in societies that agree on the fundamentals. Uh, that they get, agree on fundamental precepts of liberty. And that the, the differences are about, you know, the best way, the best trade policy, 
the best education policy, whether we should build a national highway system or whether it should be left to uh, state and county level, whatever. But when you actually, elections don't function if people are just, you know, want to get people who they disagree with, then elections don't really work anymore. And that's, you know, one of the huge problems uh, that we have today. It's a, it's, a, it's a terrible, you know, it's a terrible and idiotic way of, uh, of looking at it. Um, uh, let's, what, what, what uh, oh, um, let's see what other questions we got here. Because I've been giving to, um, I apologize for, Douglas says, Mark, what do you make of Fox News moving on from Trump in favor of DeSantis? best Douglas um I've been saying ever ever since you know if I was Trump I would want to you know I wouldn't be getting mad I would be getting even that's one of those great American expressions don't get mad get even and if I were Trump I would be uh, ever since what happened to him happened to him I would be determined to get even I would be determined to win um, and I would be determined to get my second term and be the Grover Cleveland of the 21st century. The problem is Trump Trump wound up losing in part, as you all know, because he's surrounded by assholes. Um, but one can forgive the family members who are assholes because you don't get to choose them. It's harder to forgive. Uh, the other people he surrounded himself by. He he had a preference for listening to sycophants. Uh, you, you know, people who didn't even support him, like Mark Levin, who was a never-Trumper until uh, six weeks before the election, it was pointed out that this was really seriously hurting his bottom line. And so he changed. And tr Trump got flattered by that, and so he listened to Mark Levin, and he would have been better to listen to them what brung him as the... Uh, as the expression goes. And I said that after what happened to him happened to him, that his problem was that he was going to have, he was going to have to stay relevant. And, uh, and the, the, that's a problem when you're sitting at Mar-a-Lago because, and it's also a problem when you do these rallies to the hardcore. Um, if you give the impression that you're basically looking backwards as opposed to looking forward. So DeSantis has, um, DeSantis has an advantage here in that he's actually governing a state, and it's a big state, and it's an influential state, and it's a state that's increased in importance since the COVID because his state was in many ways the most famous uh, example of going against the COVID narrative. But, 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 I think of Trump in human terms, and I would, and I think it would be a fabulous thing uh, if if they were not to succeed in taking him, and, and, and DeSantis is, yeah, he can run for president in 20 years' time if he wants to, 30 years' time the way, if he wants to leave it till he's Joe Biden's age, Um and that's but that's the thing it would be a fabulous thing to repudiate 2020 it's not enough that joe biden 
uh, has to lose. But for Joe Biden to lose to the guy he took out would be a great thing. You know, it's important to punish your enemies, um, particularly when they, they pull the stuff that these guys pull. So I would be in favor of Trump running. And I just hope he doesn't have the assholes uh, surrounding him that he had in the 2020 campaign. That's it. That's it. You know, as, as I said, I'm, I've got a bit of, you know, personal insider type knowledge of this. And I, I don't like to see him getting rolled by fair weather friends and all the rest of it. But, but the interesting thing about the Fox News is, and I, again, I'm, I've, I've uh, you know, I used to go on Tucker's show every week. I used to guest host Tucker's. I won't be back on, I mean, one should never say never, but I certainly can't foresee circumstances in which I'd be back there again. In fact, you know, crushing Piers Morgan in the ratings at the UK end uh, is, I think, is, is, is sort of not unconnected to that. I think I look at Fox differently because I think of what Rupert has lavished on someone who just hasn't got it, which is Piers Morgan. And, and Piers' show is called Piers Morgan Uncensored. You don't need to censor Piers Morgan at all. Because all his views on everything are utterly conventional. And um, all he does that's not unconventional is the woke stuff where he just says, has the world gone mad? And he's got a special effect where steam comes out of his ear. And it's a good special effect. Uh, and uh, credit to that. But the the fact is, and, and I used to have, I mentioned uh, Mead Cooper before who runs Fox News primetime, and Mead used to love it when I would be going on the woke stuff. That's what she said. So what it means is, oh, you know, pregnant man emoji, let's get Stein in to talk about the pregnant man emoji. And I do incline to the view that we've talked about here before that a lot of this stuff, you know, you just you just flibbity gibbeting around on the surface, and you're not really getting at the big stuff, the big stuff. And just as Piers's show doesn't talk about uh, Pakistani rape gangs raping English girls or victims of the vaccine, but he just has the world gone mad, and that's that's a good business model for Fox. Because there's people who just, oh, have, did you hear what AOC said today? Oh, yes, let's switch on TV and there'll be a great, there'll be someone talking about what AOC said on Fox and Friends and there'll be somebody talking about what AOC said on Outnumbered and there'll be somebody talking about what AOC said on The Five and there'll be somebody talking about what AOC said on Jesse Waters and on it goes. And that's fine, that's fine. But in serious times, you know, China, right? Uh, the the war on farming, a war of choice, because um, because basically uh, world leaders in the rubble of the post-COVID world think, hmm, how can we make it worse? Uh, bare shelves, Biden. Yeah, those American supermarkets and nothing in it, nothing in it. That's very environmentally friendly. Why don't we try and make that worldwide? 
you know, there's big things we should be talking about. Big things. Big things. And I think we should do. And, and, and you know, Fox is a business, a highly lucrative business. And uh, positioning themselves to be just reactively right-wing enough uh, to keep it as a lucrative business is um is is the uh, is the way it should be uh j maxine fulbright writes joe biden tweeted at current prices the average driver will spend 35 dollars less per month for one peson than they would if gas prices stayed at their peak Comments on this tweet stated that the president omitted the R in person. I think he <laughs> accidentally added an S to peon. Mark, what will happen to we the peons when Biden signs the new inflationary spending bill? How much money are our members of Congress making on chip stocks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're going to have a... Uh, I think we're going to have a very. I think I think we're really just dancing on the precipice now. Our political conversation is rubbish, but the permanent emergency. Were, I, I mentioned this with David Starkey. You know, the right, the permanent emergency took out even mildly right of center governments. It didn't just. It got rid of Trump. Permanent emergency didn't work for Trump. He would have been a shoo-in if there'd been no COVID. Permanent emergency didn't work for Scott Morrison in Australia. Permanent emergency didn't work for Boris Johnson. Um, but the permanent emergency worked for Justin Trudeau and it worked for Emmanuel Macron. And the, the people who Joe Biden figures, uh, or the people operating Joe Biden figure, those rules apply in the United States, that that if you just, you know, the old uh, Hilaire Belloc uh, line, whatever it is, always keep a hold of nurse for fear of finding something worse. Uh, and I think that's, that's partially true, but it's true mostly for the left, because always keep a hold of, when things are bad, always keep a hold of a lefty nurse because the right-wing guys will be worse. In vulnerable times, you know, when everything's crap, when the economy's crap, when you can't get food, when people are sick, when people are dying, you keep a hold of the left-wing nurse and the right-wing nurses uh, like Boris and Trump and uh, Scott Morrison are history. Charles Rakoff says, Mark, I have friends. We'll take one more question. Mark, I have friends who have never heard of the Oldham, etc. rape gangs. Although you speak about one particular aspect of this problem often, I would like to have one place to point my friends to that is reasonably comprehensive, either a book or a long article. Is there something you would recommend? Well, you can, if you want to get into Tommy Robinson, uh, Tommy Robinson made a documentary. It's called The Rape of Britain. If your friends are, oh, no, Tommy Robinson, that's a bit strong meat for me. 
um, then I've 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 written about uh, in I've 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 written about this in uh, in a, in a couple of places. But you know, sometimes the complicated stuff isn't in. It, it, one of the problems here is that the media actually don't cover it as the big story it is. So we are the only people doing it right now, and. Uh, and so, you know, your friends might just have to pick it up piecemeal. But it's a fact. It's a fact. And I don't want to be rude about your friends, but, you know, they sound a bit like Nami Wolf's friends. That in the end, if people don't want to know what's going on, you can't really make them. There's enough distractions now that they don't, they don't have to. But I'll take your point. Maybe if I had time, maybe I'd write a book on. Uh, maybe I'll, uh, I'll write a book on it. Um... <laughs> Or whatever, uh, but uh, but uh, I do thank you for your. I've I'm, I've been a bit. Um, as I said, it gets all a bit difficult when we're doing these uh, roadside uh, Q and As, but that's uh, just the way it is uh, right now at the moment. So we'll try and uh, and and uh, uh, and uh, get to a few more of your questions when we do it again uh, next week. A little bit. Uh, a, a little bit more music to close from uh, Bernard Cribbins. As I said, Bernard died on Wednesday. Uh, and uh, his producer, George Martin, and his composer, Ted Dix, and his lyricist, Miles Rudge. Um, and the large... Uh, this this is a song, uh, a situation that I think everyone finds himself, if you own property... Uh, everyone finds himself in this situation at least once in his life. The large object here is never specified, uh, although it has handles and things what hold the candles. So let your imagination run wild and pour yourself a cuppa. Uh, not Earl Grey or Darjeeling or Lapsang Souchong, probably more like Tetley's or PG Tips. <laughs> Bernard Cribbin. Right, said Fred, both of us together, one each end and steady as we go. Tried to shift it, couldn't even lift it, we was getting nowhere, and so we had a cup of tea. And right, said Fred, give a shout for Charlie, up comes Charlie from the floor below. After straining, heaving and complaining, we was getting nowhere. And so we had a cup of tea and Charlie had a think and he thought we ought to take off all the handles and the things what held the candles. But it did no good, well I never thought it would. All right, said Fred, have to take the feet off to get them feet off, wouldn't take a mo. Took its feet off, even took the seat off Should have got us somewhere, but no So Fred said, let's have another cup of tea And we said, right oh All right, said Fred, have to take the door off Need more space to shift the so-and-so Had bad twinges, taking off the inches And it got us nowhere, and so we had a cup of tea and right said Fred have to take the wall down that there wall is gonna have to go took the wall down even with it all down we was getting nowhere 
glanced away at a cup of tea And Charlie had a think and he said Look Fred, I've got a sort of feeling If we remove the ceiling with a rope or two We could drop the blood through All right, said Fred, climbing up a ladder With his crowbar gave a mighty blow was he in trouble off a ton of rubble Landed on the top of his dome So Charlie and me had another cup of tea And then we went home I said to Charlie We'll just have to leave it standing on the landing, that's all You see, the trouble with Fred is he's, he's too hasty Now you never get nowhere if you're too hasty Indeed, you never get nowhere if you're too hasty. The pop career of a fine English actor, Bernard Cribbins, uh, singing his second top ten hit of 1962, uh, produced by George Martin, who had yet to meet the Beatles, uh, music by Ted Dix, words by Miles Rudge, and I shouldn't really separate them out because those two guys go so well together. Noel Cad was quite right to admire them. Hole in the ground and right said Fred... Uh, two great songs. Dix and Rudge wrote other things, but those are the masterworks. And in the six decades since, anyone who's ever had to have a piano moved or a four-poster bed or a clawfoot bathtub and has watched the lads trying to figure it all out over strong orange cuppers with the spoon standing straight up will occasionally uh, catch himself thinking to himself, right, said Fred, I have to take the door off. Uh, the song lasted to the point. Uh, and this is for you young'uns, by which I mean you late middle-aged uns, uh, to the point where a hip group in the 90s who had a hit with I'm Too Sexy For My Shirt called themselves, right, said Fred. Uh, that was after the song you've just heard. And I never feel it's a good idea for a pop group to name themselves after a song that's better than any of their songs. I feel the same way about, um, what are they called, Death uh, Death. Death Cab for Cutie. Um, but I'm Too Sexy for My Shirt was a huge hit in America. Right Said Fred was the first UK group to get to a Billboard number one single since the Beatles, which must have uh, given George Martin a laugh. Uh, but round about that time, I did a show on Channel 4 in the UK with the American comedian Dennis Leary, who was very big at that time. He was just starting to make movies with people like Sandra Bullock and so forth. And Dennis came out and said three words for everything that's wrong with this country. Right said Fred, because he thought it was just a funny, obscure band name. And half the crowd laughed and the other half thought, why is he picking on a beloved Bernard Cribbins song? Doctor Who, The Wombles, The Railway Children, right said Fred. Rest in peace, Bernard Cribbins. The Hundred Years Ago show, Rick McGuinness's Saturday movie date, Stein's Song of the Week, and we will remember uh, an old friend from the Mark Stein show, Paul Sorvino. Great actor and a great singer. Uh, all coming up this weekend at Stein Online. Stay safe, stay free. Mark's
Markstein's Clubland Q&A is a production of Markstein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. Rights Reserved.